Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. We looked at verses 1 through 17 last week. We are continuing, uh, picking up at verse 18. Today, we'll continue through the rest of the chapter, Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. Everybody loves news about a miracle baby. In just the past two weeks, I found stories about baby Evelyn in Coventry, England. She was born at 25 weeks, just one pound when she was delivered. She was so small that her father could fit his wedding ring over her leg. She spent eight weeks on a ventilator. Uh, Now, that was actually two years ago. Now she celebrated her second birthday, a miracle baby. Or uh, baby Mira in the country of Turkey, born while her mother was on an artificial lung because she was fighting COVID. Uh, Mom spent another 40 days after that in intensive care, but now both mom and baby are fine. Or baby Lily from North Carolina, born to parents aged 61 and 50. After many years of failing to conceive, her mother said, she's our miracle baby. Yeah, that's quite a story. Today, most of our stories about miracle babies revolve around medical technology, either uh, our ability to overcome infertility or sustain the life of a preemie. Uh, The Bible has several stories of miracle babies that were truly miraculous. Parents that were either way too old, like Abraham and Sarah, famously, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, same kind of story in the New Testament, or maybe uh, those who went through years of infertility. Uh, Isaac and Rebecca, we don't always remember that, but that's right there in the story. Uh, Elkanah, you're like, who's that? Well, married to Hannah, you remember Hannah. Uh, Years of infertility. But then the Bible often says in these stories um, something like, and the Lord opened the womb. That's a a miracle. And so when we finally get uh, after those and many other stories, we finally get to the Christmas story in the Bible, Jesus as a miracle baby, we might think, well, yeah, that's no surprise there, except when we see that he came in a way unlike any other before or since, any other miracle baby. And this story is, is more than newsworthy. It's, it's worthy of celebration even 2,000 years after the fact, because it's a reason not only to, to celebrate one singular life, uh, a new life, a, a baby that's, that, that's come uh, to birth, but this is a miracle baby that's a reason for faith and hope for us because he can bring new life to, to you, to me. So let's read this together. I'll read. You follow along. Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. 
This is God's Word. And here's our theme today from this passage. Jesus Christ was born supernaturally to be a Savior and a sign for us. Jesus Christ was born supernaturally to be a Savior and a sign for us. And in that one sentence, three parts to our sermon. Supernatural, Savior, and sign. So let's get into it. Part one, supernatural. Mary's pregnancy appeared to be a scandal, but was actually a miracle. That's clearly what Matthew wants us to get from this story. Last week, we followed the genealogy uh, from the first 17 verses down through the centuries, generation after generation, to get to Jesus. And the whole point of that was to show that Jesus has the pedigree, the right family history, to be the Christ, that is the Messiah, that God had sent to rescue and restore his people. And so that, that ble- we tried to say last week to show that, that, that the whole of Scripture shows us that that blessing, that, that uh, kingdom, that restoration is something that you and I can experience through faith in Jesus Christ. But, but still, Matthew's building the case that Jesus is that one whom you and I can put our faith in to know God that way. And, but the question still is, is, is Jesus really the promised one? Because naturally, every Jew could trace themselves back to Abraham. And plenty could do the same uh, to go back to David. He had a lot of kids. Uh, what further claim does Jesus have to be the Messiah? Well, Matthew wants us to know how his birth took place. And it all starts with what appeared to be a scandal. And if you remember what we talked about last week, I mean, should we, should we be surprised? I mean, at, at Mary is the last of five women that were included uh, in the genealogy. Otherwise, just a long list of, of men, so-and-so fathered so-and-so, Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, and on and on. But they're scattered throughout, uh, four women, Mary's being the fifth, and each of them had something like a sexual scandal involved in the story. Some was indeed like just gross <laughs> sin, and some only maybe some apparent impropriety, but all could have been seen to tarnish Jesus' family history in some way. But it was included in that list to show that God was at work even in the mess and even in some surprising ways and in ways that may have looked sketchy but was actually uh, part of God's work to show His power, His uh, holiness, His authority. And clearly, in this story, there's, there's got to be a lot of drama here in, between Mary and Joseph. I'd love to know much more about how this played out. Matthew just gives us two sentences here in 18 and, and 19, Mary's situation and Joseph's reaction. Uh, a lot of things that, that we wish we could see how it played out. Um, we'll, we'll come to maybe some of those things, but let's, let's focus on what he does tell us. So we see that prior to this, Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. This betrothal is similar to, but not exactly like our uh, engagement. Somebody gets engaged before uh, being married. In this culture, at this time, this was uh, much more formal, a pledge of uh, being pledged to one another, though not consummated physically, of course. They had not moved in together. It was just as binding as marriage. And you can see all of those details here just in the way that Matthew describes it. They had not yet come together uh, physically, not under the same roof, not in the same bed. Uh, They had not yet come together. But Joseph is referred to as her husband. 
Um, so this is a bigger deal than just maybe our engagement. And he doesn't simply, when, when this is found out, he doesn't simply call off the ceremony. He, he's going to have to divorce her. Do you see that in, in verse 19? Why? Well, that's obvious. She's carrying a baby that's not his. Now, e- even though we live on the other side of the, the infamous sexual revolution where sex is often disconnected from getting married and having kids, you know, we're, we're, we're now in the age of casual sex, hookup culture. Well, even so, I mean, you ask anybody, not just, you know, religious you know, people. Uh, no, anybody, you ask anybody in our day, if you were in Joseph's shoes, you would be more than upset. The woman pledged to marry you is pregnant, and you know that you aren't the father? Who? Uh, Matthew, of course, tells, writing this, tells us that Mary is with child from the Holy Spirit. Verse 18 and, and verse 20, the angel uh, confirms this, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And this has been called the doctrine of the virgin birth of Christ, referring to Jesus' conception without a human father. And Matthew has already pointed to this even back in the genealogy, verse 16, if you've got your Bible open and you can look back to that verse. It doesn't say, and Joseph, the father of Jesus. It says, and Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. But of course, it wasn't so simple for Joseph to, to see that in the, in the moment. He did not, he, he did not react uh, something like, oh, you're pregnant, Mary? That's great. Wait, wait a minute. Uh, we never, oh, it must be a miracle. We know he didn't do that because he's resolving to divorce her. He, we, we know what he thinks happened. We, we don't know if, if Mary told him uh, that an angel had visited her and this was going to be from the Holy Spirit and he just didn't believe her or, or if he heard about it kind of through the grapevine and, and naturally assumed the worst. He's not, uh, he's not jumping to the idea of, of a miracle. These people were not superstitious, pre-scientific age idiots uh, imagining that you know, fairies were you know, going through the woods. This is not what was going on. They, they knew how babies were made. Even in the account that, that Luke tells us, Luke chapter 1, when the angel comes to Mary and says, uh, this is going to happen, Mar- Mary's like, wait a minute, how can this be since I am a virgin, that our English translations usually say, but literally it's, how can it be since I, I do not know a man, me- meaning know him physically, sexually? We don't know if Mary tried to explain this to Joseph, he just didn't believe it. Uh, either way, he believes it is a scandal, not a miracle. So we imagine he could have been uh, angry, embarrassed, confused. Who, who, who was it? Thinking, trying to think who, who it would have been that she was with. That, does she love him? What, what does it say about her? What does it say about me? We don't get any of that from, the, from what Matthew tells us. All, all that he does say is that being a just man which is to say that in this mess of a situation, Joseph is going to uphold the integrity of marriage. He wants to honor God's law while also showing compassion without vengeance to Mary by divorcing her, the verse says, 19, by divorcing her quietly. He's not going to add to her shame. There would probably be enough of that already. But as Joseph is, is processing this, as he's, 
considering these things, as he is resolving to divorce her quietly, this is settling in his mind, okay, I think this is the best thing to do in light of the circumstances. He gets a vision of an angel in a dream confirming that the conception is indeed miraculous. This child is from the Holy Spirit. Thus, the child is both divine and human, human and God. In verse, verses 24 and 25 that close the passage, Joseph again shows the kind of man he is. He does just as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife. He did not have sexual relations with her until the birth, and he gave the boy the name Jesus. Joseph came to believe that Jesus was indeed a miracle baby. And you can say, well, that's nice for Joseph. I don't have the benefit of an angel coming to visit me in a, in a dream to say, believe in Jesus. He's really this miracle baby. He's this really God's Savior come to, to save you. If you just put your faith in him, you're like, I, I, I don't know if I can believe this. Can, can I believe what this old book says about uh, Jesus? And, and understand even in the way the story is presented, this, this is not asking you to believe in magic or fairies. It's, it's what it's asking you to believe all through is that our world is, in our world, there's more than what we can see, whether through microscopes or telescopes. Uh, scientists are, are seeing and discovering and, and putting together things that are amazing uh, as they look in the into the vast reaches of space as they, as they go into the subatomic level, understanding how the operation of cells and, and DNA. And, but there is more to this world, more to life than what we can see, what a scientist can measure. This book claims to be the Word of God, and it claims that the Spirit of God, which, uh, according to Genesis 1, hovered over a formless and empty earth, as God's work began of forming and filling all creation in the beginning, that that same Holy Spirit also overshadowed Mary. To use the word from the angel in Luke chapter 1, the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. It's not as some people wrongly assume that the Bible teaches that God the Father had some kind of sexual relations with Mary. That's not at all what is being said. The Holy Spirit overshadows her, and by the Spirit of God, there is the miracle of a life in her womb, the Messiah who is our life. He will be the agent of our individual and universal new creation, this Jesus. Now, the claim that this is a miracle, that he is a miracle baby, that this virgin birth of Christ, it's not the whole issue, but it is a critical one that he be something that is that someone who is unique and utterly unlike anyone else, like everyone else, human being. Unlike everyone else, he is God and man. The moment, if you, for, for the moment, if you're still not sure, like uh, this whole virgin birth thing and uh, this miracle baby, um, just recognize the claim that's being made here. And we're going to move on in the passage to see why this really matters, why, uh, why we would... Uh, follow what the Bible says about who Jesus is. We're going to, to see why this matters, what difference this miracle makes for you and for me if we believe. So here's part two. 
Savior. The greater wonder, okay, so miracle, the miracle of his birth, uh, the greater wonder is the God-man who can save us from our sin. That's really the miracle that's going on here. So verses 20 and 21. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for because he will save his people from their sins. All right, simple enough. The angel gives Joseph the name for the son that is to be born and the reason for the name, for he will save his people from their sins. And what's the connection there? Well, Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew Yeshua, which is often rendered in English as Joshua. Well, of course, we remember Joshua. If you, if you know the Old Testament at all, you remember Joshua as the leader of Israel after Moses. Joshua led the people into the, into the promised land, into the conquest of Canaan, and it, it's at least a, partly because of that Joshua, that famous Joshua, that Joshua, Jesus, was a, a pretty common name throughout the Old Testament and in, even into Jesus' own day. The name itself means the Lord saves the Lord rescues, delivers. And, and throughout uh, their history as a people, uh, God's people, covenant people of Israel, look to the Lord time and again, over and over, for deliverance, for rescue, for salvation. Sometimes delivering His people from bondage, or rescuing His people from danger, or saving His people from their enemies. And now this baby will be born as the Christ, the Messiah, the long-awaited promised king to reign and to rescue, to rescue his people. But he will deliver not from the occupying forces of the mighty Roman Empire. That's who ruled over Israel in the days when Jesus was born. He will save his people from their sins, says the angel. Because as the bigger story of the Bible tells us, there. Uh, Their first and greatest problem, just like ours, is not the oppression that stands over us, but the the rebellion that springs up from within us. Rebellion against God, first and foremost. The question is, is is this the Messiah that we want? The Messiah that will save His people from their sins. Some of you will know the name uh, Paul Tripp. He's a Christian counselor and an author of many books that I would commend to you. He he often has, as a counselor, often has people that will come to him for help, people who are in trouble. And and after he meets with someone initially, maybe for a whole hour, hearing about their problems, their needs, their concerns, what's uh, troubling them, sometimes he says he has to point out that they are not in the video. And what he means by that, when he, when he says that, uh, it's his way of saying that in the, in the, in the long story, the, the, the narrative of all of their problems, if you just are watching the tape, uh, they, that person never appears in the story. And, and he says, he has to point out sometimes that, you know, um, now where, where do you fit into this? 
Um, it, it's always the, the story. If the story is only about their their circumstances or their other the other people, you know, my my mother is like this. Uh, I my, had problems with my dad, my husband or wife, or my boss is always. And it's and it all it, the whole picture is about other circumstances or other people, and never about that own person. And they, where where do they fit into the story? He says, uh, we, it, it may be true that most of the problem is someone else or some other situation or some other thing. It may be true. But if we don't look at ourselves, if we don't recognize the, the guilt that we may have or, or that we don't recognize any personal responsibility, we may not be really ready to be helped, to be rescued, to be saved. Just like most of the people to whom Jesus came 2,000 years ago, we want God to deliver us from, from our, our health problems. We want God to save us from criminal activity that's going on in our nation. We want God to, to rescue us from big government or big tech or big pharma. We, but you can leave my pride and my greed and my selfishness, my laziness, my bitterness, my lust. You just leave that, leave that alone. That's really not in the, the picture here. no. That can't can't not be in the picture. The Messiah is God's great answer to the world's great need, to to your need, to mine. And and our deepest need is is the same same as it is for every person, to be forgiven, to be able to face God apart from the the guilt or fear of, of judgment, to, to be renewed, to have life instead of corruption and death, to, to be transformed, to be made pure, to be made whole. And Matthew's gospel claims that Jesus can do that for you. Forgiveness and renewal and transformation. He is a, Jesus is able to save you from your sins. And that's connected to his miraculous birth. How? Well, the Lenhart's read uh, from the book of Hebrews earlier in the service, Hebrews 2, that Jesus is the Son of God who took on flesh so that he could deliver us from the power of sin and death as he offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. He couldn't do that without becoming human. To, to think about it this way, if, he, if, if Christ remained as only God, only the Son of God, he would not be able to pay for the penalty of our sins by dying on the cross, physically, literally hanging on the cross, shedding his blood for our sins. He couldn't do that simply as God. But if he was only human, if he was just God decided uh, to pick just one human being, well, we'll just take one of you guys and we'll make you the Savior. We'll make you the sacrifice for sin. If he was only human, he would have to bear the guilt of his own sin, and he couldn't be the, the pure and holy sacrifice for the sins of anyone else, let alone the whole world. This is why his miracle birth matters. He had to be fully God and fully human to be our Savior. Now, I I can't explain to you how the miracle works, how the miracle of of his uh, virginal conception, how that works. I can't explain how that works. I can't explain how Jesus could live and breathe, walk on this earth as simultaneously both fully God and fully human. But that's kind of the point. This is not normal. He's not an ordinary person. He's an extraordinary 
person. And, and you, can, you can choose to believe that our, our world is, is merely natural, just what is, we can uh, see and touch and, and feel, and it's, it's, uh, it, it's, the world is just governed by natural forces. Uh, or you can believe that the one who created the laws of nature will also sometimes supersede them, overrule them to accomplish His good purpose for this world that He has made, and that includes you and me. Do you need help this morning? Not just a, not just a boost, but a Savior. Do you need help like that? Not, not just, and, and not just an escape from the oppression, the things that come against you, but a transformation of the person that you are on the inside, taking away the rebellion and the corruption that's in you. Jesus came to save you. He came to redeem you with hope for a new life in Him and never-ending life with Him. And it's simply for us to believe Him and trust Him. But we'll see that better as we continue, because there's one more piece to this passage that, that kicks it up another notch. This is in verses 22 and 23. He just said, the angel had just said, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then, um, it's not, it's possible that the angel is still speaking at this point, but translations typically say this is now Matthew writing to explain, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is part three, a sign. Jesus embodies the powerful presence and the saving purpose of God. Jesus embodies the powerful presence and saving purpose of God. So if you're looking at this passage in your Bible, it's, the quotation is probably set off from the rest of the text, indented a little bit, probably a tiny letter or number linked to some fine print somewhere at the bottom of the page or in the middle, uh, telling you that this is from Isaiah 7, verse 14. It refers to something that God himself said uh, to King Ahaz of Judah through the prophet Isaiah some 800 years before this time, before Jesus' birth. Back then, at that time, 800 years prior, the nation of Israel was already divided, north and south. Uh, Israel to the north, the uh, Judah to the south. And Judah was the kingdom where the royal line of David continued, where uh, there was Jerusalem, the temple, uh, everything sacred. And at this time, Judah was in great danger. Israel to the north had allied with Syria, still further north, and had surrounded, then had, had traveled south, surrounding Jerusalem with uh, armies. So King Ahaz, beginning of Isaiah chapter 7 says, King Ahaz and all the people were trembling like leaves blown by the wind. They were just tr trembling with fear, and you can understand that. I mean, this is, this is, the, this is it. This is the end. We're going to be wiped out. Uh, the city will be destroyed, burned, we'll, we'll all be dead. But God promised a sign. He promised a sign to show that the siege would not last, that the armies would be defeated, that the nation of Judah would be saved. The sign was that a young woman, only a virgin at the time of this promise, would soon have a boy named Emmanuel, 
And before he was old enough to act responsibly, these opposing kings and their armies would be utterly defeated. Now, presumably the siege would end before that time, but, but their enemies would, not, would, would be wiped out, would not be an issue uh, in that space of time. So in Ahaz's day, again, back in Isaiah, that, in that day, the, the, that boy, that child was not a miracle baby per se, but a symbol and a time frame, right? So the time frame, clear that the threat would not last beyond you know, the time of the gestation and then the birth and then this infant growing into at least a, a toddler. Um, and the sim- that's the time frame, and the symbolism was in the name. Back then, it was just not unusual to have a name uh, with, with th- that had meaning, significance, and even the Word of God in it. So today, sometimes we pick names just because, well, they sound good, or, you know, it's trending uh, or popular, but, but they picked meaningful names and names with God in it. So the, we know the, the Hebrew word for the specific name for the God of Israel, Yahweh, um, but, the, but the generic word for God, El, in the Hebrew language, um, comes up into a lot of familiar names. So Samuel means that God hears. Remember his mother Hannah's prayer, God heard her prayer. God, she named her son God hears. Or Nathaniel. Uh, Nathaniel means gift of God. Here, Emmanuel means God is with us. That was a word of promise. It was a word of hope. In our distress, in our time of need, God is with us. He has not forgotten us. He has not abandoned us. No matter what it looks like when you stand on the ramparts of the the walls of the city and see the armies amassed around you, he has not forgotten you. He has not abandoned you. God is with us. Excuse me. He will save us. But now, centuries later, Matthew says that 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 prophecy in Isaiah's day is fulfilled in Jesus. Well, what does it mean to be fulfilled? These, it means these words were now seen in their truest and fullest ultimate sense. Because it did mean something for Ahaz. It did mean something in Isaiah's day. It referred to something in Ahaz's day and something in Matthew's day. Well, you say, how, how can that be both? How can it refer to a child apparently born in Ahaz's day, so that Ahaz had a sign, how could it be a sign that was fulfilled in the birth of Christ? Well, I've used a story like this before to, to try to explain this. So um, imagine a family in their living room around the Christmas tree, and it's, it's the time for gift giving. Uh, let's say Katie and I both know that we got a PlayStation 5 for our boys. Now, this is, boys, this is just purely hypothetical uh, story. This is just... And I, and I look to, I look to Katie and I, I give her a wink. Someone's going to be really happy tonight. And of course, both boys are, are thinking, it's going to be me. It's going to be me. Uh, and I bring out the, the box. They tear it open and uh, PlayStation 5, man, this is, nobody can get this. This is, you, you found it, dad. And we, we're going to be so happy. We're going to play this. Uh, and, and they're excited and, uh, it's, it's best Christmas ever, right? But later, tucked into a little fold in the tree skirt, uh, I pull out a small velvet box, and Katie opens a pair of diamond earrings. 
And Katie's not here today. She's not feeling well. But if you're watching, Katie, this is also purely hypothetical. <laughs> Just like, so my point is of this hypothetical illustration is when I, my words, someone's really going to be happy tonight, were true for my sons. It was true. And yet it was really, really fulfilled later in the gift that was... She expected a gift, but not, not, that, not that gift. They were fulfilled in the gift to my wife. So the prophecy that the virgin would conceive and bear a son was true in a powerful way for King Ahaz 800 years before. But here, an, an actual virgin, a virgin even through the time of conception and the time of delivery, she, Joseph did not know her. She did not know any man in that way. An actual virgin would conceive apart from normal human relations. And that's much more than what happened in Isaiah's day. There wasn't another uh, God man born in Isaiah's day. No, this was fulfilled here in Matthew's story. And then the other part of the prophecy, they shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, you might think, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, it, I mean, there was a guy, kid named Emmanuel apparently back in Isaiah's day, but, but the angel says to call him Jesus. And when he was born, Mary and Joseph call him Jesus. No, nobody, nobody calls Jesus Emmanuel. But Jesus fulfills the promise of Emmanuel. What, what that means. How, how much more was Jesus an expression of God is with us? Not just a particular baby that pointed to the promise of God is with us, but a miracle baby, one who is the embodiment of God with us. Not just a symbol of God's presence, but God present. As the Son of God, He is God with us. Not just a a name or a pointer. Matthew says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken. There is a reason for the miracle baby but not just to tie up some loose ends from an ancient prophecy, but in order to save his people in a way beyond every other rescue in history. It's not just fulfilling the prophecy, so, well, okay, well, that's done. We can, we can put, the, put that to rest. But no, the prophecy is there then to let us know that, wait a minute, this was God's plan all along. He was, he was setting us up so that when we would see this, we would say, whoa, God just, just blew the doors off of everything he had done before. This is the greater fulfillment of this prophecy. God would be with us to save us. And he would save his people in a way beyond every other rescue that he had performed in the the history of his people, not from destruction and death uh, at the hands of armies that could surround and could threaten, but from the destruction and death that comes from our own sin. And the, the, the way that we sometimes even live in a sense, under siege of our own of our own weakness, of our own addiction, the way that we feel like oh, we can't break out, break free. We, we can't, there, there's no way we'll survive. And yet, this is how these two names go together. God is with us to save us from our sins. The, the, the question for for us today is, does the birth of this child serve as a sign to you and me? There was, a, there was going to be a birth of a child that was a sign to Ahaz. I've not abandoned you. I'm with you to save you. And 
is, he, is the birth of Jesus a sign for us to point you to faith in him? I mean, it is what it's supposed to do. Maybe you are in a situation like Ahaz, surrounded, uh, feeling like all you can see as you look around you are threats. All you can see is, is your own demise. All, all of your hopes and dreams shattered. It's, this is it. This is, this is the end. We have no, no future, no hope. But God has given you a sign. He has, God has given you His Son. And that son is Jesus. Does the birth of this child serve as a sign to you to point you to faith in him? If you've never settled that, if you're not clear on where you stand with him, make this the year, make this the day, make this the moment that you get clear on where you stand with, with him. That you say, now, I'm, Jesus, I, I'm trusting you. I, 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 don't, I don't have it in me to be able to to rescue myself, to save myself. I, I, I get that. I need you. J- Jesus, I can't comprehend the miracle that you are, but I know I need, I need something beyond what I can see. I need someone who is real beyond the, the, all the problems that are very much in my face. I can't comprehend the miracle, but I'm trusting you to be my Savior, to rescue me from my guilt, from my shame, through your death on the cross. Bring me life through your resurrected life. And, and if, if you're here today and you say, well, I, you know, I, I believe that. I've, it's already, you know, I've settled that. Um, maybe you've settled your faith in Jesus a long time ago. And so, you know, the, this, this story this morning, the, all the stuff that, it's, that, that this is, teaches us and it challenges us with the claims it's making, you're like, yeah, 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 I know, I believe. But, but maybe the best way to strengthen your faith today is to look again to Jesus. That, that's why we have this, that we come back to it each year. It's why not only do we come back to the Christmas story each year, it's why we come back to the Lord's table each month remembering looking again at the sign he's given us to point us to Jesus, the sign that, that says God is with you, with you in this world of suffering, here not just to suffer with you, but to suffer and die for you, to save you. So yes, look at the, look at the miracle baby in the manger. But remember, the God-man humbled to death on the cross for our salvation. Please don't let your familiarity with this story, let, to, let this season go by, and it's just same old, same old. Uh, yeah, Jesus, he was born. And then, and because that's familiar, we look for whatever, whatever we can do to, to, to spice up this season, what, whatever is going to be to make this year the best Christmas ever. And so then we end up pinning our hopes on that, that present or that party or that time that we'll have to get away or to get together. And all our hopes for the season rest on those things and not the Savior. Let this Advent season and our celebration right now at the end of this service in communion be a time to remember and reaffirm our faith in the one and only Savior that God has sent, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Take the bread and the cup, and I'll I'll pray after we do this together. But I will read as I do from 1 Corinthians 11. 
to turn us from the manger to the cross. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, I thank you that you know our frailty. You know how easily distracted we are, how forgetful we are, how easy it is for us to focus on the things that are right in front of us, whether that's just the busyness of the season or maybe we feel like King Ahaz and, and all we can see are the, are the threats that surround us, the danger, the doom. And God, I pray by the sign of this miracle baby, by the sign even of this little piece of bread, you would point us back to Jesus, our true Savior, the one we really celebrate. Thank you for the gift that you gave us, Father, in sending your Son. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gift of yourself as you gave, as you offered yourself as a sacrifice, that we could be forgiven that we could be yours. We thank you. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We pray, O oh God, with thanks that you did not stand back from us, that even though our sins have repulsed you, even though our sins deserve and bring, in some sense, your wrath upon us, you did not stand apart from us, you did not stand against us, you came to be with us in order to save us. Thank you for Jesus who shed his blood. Pictured in this, the fruit of the vine, the blood of the grape. And as we take and are nourished in some small way from this juice, we pray that you would, in like manner, give us life through your shed blood for us, covering our sins, your life paying for our death and giving us life. Lord, may we be people who carry that life and light with us into this season and throughout this new year, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? We'll sing one final song to close our service.